Today we're turning to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Then we'll drop down and read verses 7 and 8 from the American Standard Version. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Jehovah is with you while you are with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. But be ye strong, and let not your hands be slack, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, he took courage and put away the abominations out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from the hill country of Ephraim. And he renewed the altar of Jehovah that was before the porch of Jehovah. In ancient Bible times, some 900 years before Christ, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, to the north was the kingdom of Israel, and to the south was the kingdom of Judah. This division lasted just over 100 years. Asa was the third king of Judah after the division, and he reigned for 41 years. He was Judah's first good king, ordering everyone in the kingdom to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. King Asa amassed an army of 580,000 men in his first 10 years of peace. In his first battle, however, he encountered an army of 1 million Ethiopian soldiers and 300 chariots. Being outnumbered almost two to one, Asa cried out to God for help. He exercised faith in Jehovah and he went out against this vast army in the name of the Lord. And indeed, the Lord smote the Ethiopians and they fled before Judah. They suffered such defeat that the Bible says they were unable to recover themselves. They hobbled back to their homeland and they did not attempt another war against Israel for over 300 years. As Asa is returning from this amazing victory, the Spirit of God comes upon Azariah who goes out to meet the king and he begins to prophesy. We are told upon hearing the words of this prophecy that the king, King Asa, took courage. And from this point, his bold actions positioned the nation of Judah to excel in favor and blessings, the blessings of God for nearly three decades following as a result of Asa taking courage. He was so encouraged that he put away the altars of the strange gods. He broke all the idols in the land. He removed the high places and then he renewed the altar of God, of Jehovah. He even went as far as removing his own mother from the throne, the queen mother, because he found an idol in her garden, all because he took courage. Today we continue with our series, Courage Renewed. Courage Renewed. Courage is one of the greatest needs of the church. Why is it such a great need, you might ask? Because in this hour, darkness is growing ever darker, and it takes a courageous believer to live and to walk in the light regardless of what the darkness thinks 
regardless of what the darkness threatens or offers. And for certain, church, the darkness is thinking, the darkness is threatening and offering more than it ever has. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, the latter part of that verse says, you are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Hold tightly to the word of God, the word of life, so that when Christ returns, I will be proud that I did not lose the race and that my work was not useless. Church, to live clean, innocent lives, shining brightly and holding tightly to God's word, that requires courage. The word courage means determined, determined. It means bold. Courage means to strengthen or temper one's attitude. It means full of hope, full of hope and confidence. Simply put, courage is the ability to stand even when no one else does. When you study the subject of courage in Scripture, you often find that it's stated like this. He took courage. She took courage. Such as we read today in verse 8, Asa took courage courage. We go over into the New Testament. We read in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The word take, take courage. Take implies an act of the will. Take implies a choice choosing to act. And that choice is founded upon conviction, which is principled belief of God's word. Conviction, principled belief of God's word. As it said in verse 11, which we just read, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. Based upon that truth that you know of me, Paul, based upon that conviction that you have, that you hold on to, you must testify of me, of that truth in Rome. Here's the second truth necessary to have our courage renewed. Number two, choose courage based on conviction. Choose courage based on conviction. Listen, the very moment that King Asa made the choice to take courage. He began to rid the nation of idolatry based on the conviction that he possessed that we must worship Jehovah, the only true God. You see, courage is a choice. It's an act of the will that springs forth from our conviction. Or we could say it this way, will plus action rooted in conviction equals courage. I want to say that again. Will plus action rooted in conviction equals courage. In fact, this equation is found many times in the Bible. Moses called it out of Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. Be strong, Joshua. Be courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swear to their ancestors to give them. David. He called it out of Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do the work. Will plus action rooted in conviction equals courage. 
the disciples of Christ called it out of the blind man in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they, the disciples, called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up. Jesus is calling for you. Will plus action rooted in conviction equals courage. You see, courage requires activating our will. When we are being tempted to compromise our convictions, courage requires the activation of our will. So really, the bottom line, to be renewed in our courage first depends upon us having, possessing convictions. You see, you can set your will all day, but it's not just raw willpower that gets you to a place of courage. It's our will leading us to take action in alignment with our principled beliefs, with the foundation of God's truth on which we stand. Let me illustrate as I close. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the Holocaust. She and her beloved sister Betsy were caught and sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany where they encountered untold horrors. Years later, after the war ended, Corey was faced with one of the Nazi guards who abused her and Betsy at Ravensbrück, as well as many other women. In fact, this guard was responsible for Betsy's death in the camp. What was to transpire when facing this Nazi guard would require the greatest act of courage of Corey's lifetime, founded upon her unwavering belief in God's word. Here's the story which I'm reading from her own words. In 1947, I was speaking at a church in Munich, Germany. And at the close of the service, I saw coming toward me a balding man in a gray overcoat to offer his greetings. I knew this man well. He had been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrück, who had mocked us women prisoners as we showered. It all came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of having to walk naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake mine. He said to me, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so ghibli of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, he put his hand out. Will you forgive me? 
And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, wanting and waiting for me to shake his hand. I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, I remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, I prayed, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you must supply the strength. I thrust out my hand, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current, like electricity, started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, springing into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And may God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, renew our courage today as we hold on to the truth of his word to face the challenges that are before us each and every day. So be it.